It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to our next session here on day two of the CBOC online convention. And we're going to focus now on those grad students who are out there. We know there's a number of you that have been with us today and yesterday uh, and tomorrow, Saturday. So we'll probably see even more of you on, on tomorrow. But Jeremy, let's talk about some of the support that you know CBOC and the organization has going for those people who are in the middle of their program, you know, and, you know, I'm sure we can include those people who just graduated a couple of months ago, but <laughs> great thing about post-secondary every year, there's a new crop coming out. So what is the organization doing to help support those people? I'm going to try to keep this. <laughs> I'm going to try Tom to keep this quick. And then I want to hand it over to destiny. So a couple of things on, on IO psychology in terms of just the degree programs. I saw, and I can't tell, I, actually, I probably could find out where it was, but back in 2009, there were like six major IO psychology degree programs that offered master's or PhD, six, six, about six. And I'm, I, I read that. I, I don't believe it because it seems to be too small, right? It just seemed, it doesn't make sense, but that's what it said. And it was on the internet, right? So now I have a running list of at least 150 universities that offer an IO program. We have universities now that are offering a bachelor's in IO psychology, which would have never happened. I've also seen it used to be in order to be effective and, and have an IO career, you had to have a, a PhD. Now, I don't believe that at all. I think the uh, a master's in IO is starting to become like your new MBA, where that's just what it is. And please, everyone, feel free to to disagree or tell tell me differently. We also know that, like, and there's a huge influx. I mean, the the new people that are graduating with IO degrees, it's it's absolutely unlimited. There's so many. It's happening so fast. It's happened so fast over the past ten years. The landscape looks totally different now, and that's why it's interesting with this tipping point between the open jobs where you're not going to see a specific IO psychology job unless it's probably for government. Like you see these like I like personnel psychologist or IO psychologist, it's going to be a job with somebody looking for IO skills or that particular degree. So in terms of some of the things that we're doing, another reason for CBOC is to fill in the gaps that we didn't get during our grad program with the connection, what it's like to work in the field of IO, what does a day in the life of look like, and one of the, I'll tell you, we get one third of our uh, Pathfinder members come from the Work Cookie podcast because they're learning, they're understanding, they're engaging with our experts and with our, 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 we have our standard, you know, like your Linda Ann and Lee and Destiny and you and me and uh, you know, our Dr. Ariana, 
because learning from all these experts about what it's really like in the day of a life of, and also our topics, the topics on the podcast are so are so geared towards AIOs, but B also businesses who are looking for IOs to help to better understand that. I might stop there. No, I'm not going to stop there yet because you asked about the benefits. So now I'm going to stop there and I'm going to hand it over to Destiny. I need to get my thoughts together because it's been a start to be a long day. All right, Destiny, let's go to you. It is a long day, but it's like a fun day. <laughs> no, I think there's so much here to talk about, to be honest, you know, everything from, you know, what are you all experiencing? You know, what do you wish you have? What do you wish you have? What did you wish you had whenever you were going through school? What kinds of, you know, application do you like hope to do in the future? So there's like so many ways. And then on the other side of this, we actually have universities reaching out to us for more guidance and advisory. And that is somewhere like that is literally where my like heart is in all of this. And Jeremy can tell you, I love the community and belongingness so much. But the other side of this is so incredibly critically important, which is the education and training standards and the competencies that dictate how your programs are put together, right? Because you all are the future of IO. Uh, that is the future of our, you know, of our discipline, basically. And so there is a gaping hole. And we all know that for so many reasons, as far as those standards for the for you know universities, because so many universities, they have the best intentions, right? They want to educate, they want to push their agendas uh to forward too to make sure that, hey, you know what? People are going to come here, they're going to get educated, and then they're going to go tell all their friends, families, brothers, sisters, mothers about it, right? And then they're going to go do big, great things in organizations, and then they're always going to be like, well, where did you go to school? You go to school here. But the thing is, is that that is so academic focused usually, and there's not a lot of practitioner type of focus within that, right? And so in a lot of your academic professors don't necessarily have practical experience and that's not their fault but they're they're building tenure and they're and they're educators and that is like they should be right because there is a ton of value in having educators educating us however what we do is very technical in most cases i've been in a variety of jobs i worked for the government i worked in academics i worked for industry i work for nonprofit now i've been all over the place i've used my skills in so many places and it's very technical in most cases and so one of the things that CBOC will be doing, Jeremy and I've talked about this, is really starting to hone in on those education and training competencies that practitioners, and usually those practitioners go into kind of consulting roles, right? right. So um, consultation, whether it's an internal in-house cons- you know, cons- consultant or whether you're an external. So our goal is to really start creating the foundation of that it's not so fun all the time part of like, you know, the society, but it's important because it's going to dictate how our programs in the future are going to be crafted, created and implemented and designed. So much the fact that once again, universities are reaching out to us to help validate their programs. And there are other organizations out there that do this in some ways and that should do this in many ways, but it's not necessarily going the way that we're hoping for. So they're, they're coming to us. And so we're going to make sure that we do our work and we advocate and we do the proper stuff on the other side to make sure that we do create a validated, basically foundation for these, 
universities who are trying to create practitioner programs. And, right. you know, so that's, that's the, that's the goal here. And as a practitioner, I can continue to develop in the organization with, with things like we're doing right now. Exactly. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, let me ask you because it's great that Seabox doing that, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm here, and you know, Cynthia Lieberman is you know part of the organization as well because we're not IOs, but because we can bring other skills. And you know, I this you know when I finished my master's program and walked out that door, and realizing that you know as an actor I'm a solo entrepreneur, you know, basically I'm like a consultant looking to work with a theater company. Uh, but I got no entrepreneurial training. Like I, I didn't know how to market my career, you know, things like that. So can you talk a little bit and Jeremy jump in as well or anybody else and talk about that aspect of what Seabox doing, especially for those grad students in filling in some of those blanks with just the world of business. Jeremy, if I, I'll go ahead first uh, real quick. I, I think so many things in, in a roundabout way we are doing as when that comes, like, if that's what you're asking about, particularly with our experts, all of our experts, almost all of them own some sort of business. And it's not by accident, they own those businesses and those expertise. It's by, you know, they've learned, they've gotten there, they've grown there, you know, they've done everything that we've talked about over the course of the last three days to get to their specialization. And many of you will find that once again, if you're doing real IO work, you're likely the expert advisor. Um, and that's where those business kind of skill sets come in. And so one, you can come to CBOC and learn from, you know, the experiences of almost all of our experts. Jeremy, I think almost all of them own some sort of business. Isn't that right? I would say I was, you said that, and I'm trying to think, and I was even thinking, like I was thinking of Juliet. She, she works for as an IO psychologist for the government, but she also owns two businesses non-related to consulting. So it's it's kind of we're kind of hard pressed to find someone that doesn't, but there are a few. And to to be a CBOC expert, you don't have to be a an, an external consultant or or own your own business. But yeah, I would say a lot of them do. Right. And so I think that's an important factor if you're thinking about this, because if we're talking about more majority, if it was harder for us to think about the experts who don't have it, right? then a lot of times it's because you kind of naturally through the process of becoming, you know, experienced in the space, build those skill sets. So I think that's one thing. And I want to address something on a completely different side of all of this, because I get this question and I get reached out to all the time. People are people that are looking for are asking for advice on getting their PhD in IO. And so here's just a quick little thing, because I know that's taking this conversation a whole different route, but I get it so much that I need to address it. I say this in the kindest way. If you've all talked to me about it, you know, I always tell people if you're crazy enough, I mean that in the nicest way to consider a PhD, you need to go for it. You need to go for it because regular people don't sit around and go, you know what? (laughs) I think I'm going to go get my PhD today. Like they just don't do it. That means you have a drive and a passion. And if you go, well, you know, I wasn't really like, I was never really a good student. And like, I did. Okay. Well, guess what? You were in a new season and there is a calling that's happening inside of you. So I'm not advocating for all of you to go get your PhD, but if you're considering it strongly, you should pursue or look at pursuing it because that is a calling. So I'm just going to drop that right there. And Jeremy, do you want to say anything to that? (laughs) I just want to say 
Juliet, is your hand up? I can't see based on my thing. Okay, good. So do Juliet, please, because I mentioned your your two companies, do mention your other two companies, please, because I just they're pretty cool, right? So, but as you talk, please insert that. Yes. So I I do have four, not two. Um, Jer- Jeremy um, has helped me significantly, especially with one of them. And, you know, just to piggyback off, I know our first afternoon session about being a sponsor at CBOC, I got my first publishing client through the CBOC network. So it, there's a lot of opportunities in leveraging what you have, what you're coming with as an independent business owner. And, you know, of course, that's not the only opportunity I've been able to have. I I didn't care much about even like search engine optimization and so on and so forth. But when I launched my eyewear company, I had a resource through Jeremy to help me and talk me through that and optimize my website so that I could get traffic from the customers I was looking for. So I will say that. Now, I wanted to piggyback really quick as well on what Dr. Destiny said PhDs is like running businesses, right? The dream is free, but the whole hustle is sold separately and it's really expensive. So while you are going with it, going for it, understand that it's going to take a level of investment. It's going to take a level of investment of your time, of your energy. That may mean that, you know, you're not hanging out and going to all the social events as much as you used to, but, you know, it is worth it. Now, if you're choosing between a master's and a PhD, perhaps the master's program might be shorter, but going into a PhD does not solely mean academia. I have worked with students from the elementary to the doctoral level. I have never taught in a a higher education classroom. And, you know, in a sense, that was intentional for me because I'm more passionate about meeting students one-on-one to identify their individual needs and crafting something personalized to meet their needs. If I may share my screen, because I have a couple of nuggets I want to pass on to the students because I know the students usually get forwarded to me. If you have not signed up for the Pathfinder program, students, please do that. You can connect with myself. You can connect with Dr. Jeremy, Dr. Destiny, and so many other people that could really help you along your, your, your path. You, you get a free, I think it's 40 or 45 minutes. So I'm going to just share my screen really quickly, if that's okay. Um, hopefully my computer allows me to do that. All right. So I am a PhD graduate. I graduated from Capella University, graduated with a 4.0 GPA, and I would not have been able to do that if I did not organize my life. This is four years of my PhD experience in a project management Kanban tool. So for all of you who work in sales, who work in project management, who work in process improvement, operations improvement, you probably are familiar with something similar to this. I use Trello. You know, I know they have other tools, Monday and all of that, but this really helped me to get organized. So you'll notice that there are labels that each label is for every week in my courses. It allowed me to also plug in information regarding my classes. So how often I should be submitting assignments? When do I need to submit a response to my my classmates or my colleagues? I went online. So that was my experience. And again, I, I do apologize if my computer is taking too long to load, but it allows you to set deadlines for yourself. 
As you can see, I put, you know, my professor's information. I put information about when my courses are due. I also included attachments to organize my PhD attachments of, you know, the, the assignments that I submitted. And then I actually had a checklist for every single unit and each unit was a week. So I had whatever I needed to study. I had my discussions and so on and so forth. And it's almost like a to-do list. Once you're crossing things out and you see, you know, those 10 labels crossed off for your first 10 weeks, right? Or your first trimester, your first quarter, your first semester, you're like, okay, I think I can do this again. And then at the moment in COVID where I had about 20 to 30 people close to home pass away from COVID or not. And I said, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I was able to look at this this tape, this spreadsheet, not the spreadsheet, but this dashboard and be like, you know what? I came so far. Why am I walking away from this? And there were moments where I needed to be kind to myself and I needed to take a break. In the first part of the year, I was on track to finish my PhD in three years. And I said, I don't want to be a strong soldier. Uh, I just, I just want to live the soft life and, you know, narrow it down to maybe one course or two courses a term. And so that's, what worked for me. And again, I knew when I started, I started, uh, I believe March or April, 2018. And when I decided I wasn't going to finish in 2017, I set it for March, 2022. And I completed and defended my dissertation, March, 2022, and walked across the stage in March of this year. So organization and planning is extremely key. There were times I shared my Trello board with my friends um, and they held me accountable. They're like, listen, I don't know why I'm getting these notifications that you have an assignment due. So, you know, if you have an accountability partner, use them, use them. You know, they may not look through, you know, they may not zero in and, and be a micromanager, but at least they might get the ding as well to come back to you and say, listen, I'm getting these notifications. You have assignments due. Um, and again, those are how you're using your resources. I also want to say, especially for those who are going to move into conducting a thesis, you want to start thinking about your dissertation very early in the process. And when it comes to, this is something I always tell my students, you need to be in control of your academic journey. It's going to completely suck if you are leaning on your academic coach to do all of the work for you. So before I started at Capella, I took their catalog for the IO program and I mapped out this entire Trello board, organized it of which courses I wanted to take first. And then I went to my advisor and I said, okay, this is what I have in mind. And he said, okay. Here are my recommendations. And with his recommendations, I was able to say, okay, this is probably how I can group my classes together and not because ultimately it's up to you. So you might notice, for example, a quantitative methods course paired up with a professional development course. Some of the regular business or organizational courses, those were things that were second nature to me versus the statistics courses, the quantitative uh, methodology courses, those were a little bit more challenging. So I did not always want to stack those all up together, right? If you know what your strengths are, you can pair them up with where your opportunity areas are. Another uh, tip that I have, you want to make sure that when it comes to your research, I know for Capella, the residencies are more you developing your research. I don't know if other schools do it similarly, but you'll notice that my dissertation research seminar is paired up with my qualitative analysis class. And I did that intentionally because when I'm trying to work on my proposal, I'm getting feedback on the same exact 
research topic from my qualitative course. And so for me, they were actually able to help me rewrite my topic. And I submitted that as my topic for my dissertation uh, seminar course, my, my residency course. And that's what has helped me be successful. You want to have a, a folder in a cloud in your computer where you are tracking every single piece of research. And when you focus and narrow down on that research area or theory or topic, consider doing that for all of your courses, all of your discussion topics, because that's where you're getting all of the feedback on your assignments. It's real-time feedback that you can use in your thesis, in your dissertation. And I can guarantee you, you will come out with flying colors. My dissertation mentor told me, hey, minimum three years. If you don't have a kid, you're not married and so on and so forth that you can finish your dissertation. And I told that doctor, I said, sir, all due respect, but what Capella University and you on their behalf is not going to do is rack up student loans in my name because you want me to do a minimum of three years in a dissertation. I went to Jeremy and I said, I'm rather concerned because they're telling me that I can't do this dissertation in a year. And Jeremy kind of gave the forgive them for they know not what they say, just hand in the assignments. And that's what I did. And I made sure, again, you'll notice I have my dissertation course room. Not always did I finish all the items on that list, but that still gave me the strength and the motivation to keep doing it the next quarter. And really enough, I finished in a year and they said it was one of the best presentations that they've seen. So again, when you stay ahead of your academic journey, make sure that you are being intentional of the assignments, you know, of course you can try to do, you know, a topic here and a topic there, but really if you're trying to focus more on your thesis or your research topic, you're getting real time feedback from your professors. And someone did pass this over to me. All of those assignments that you handed in your dissertations, it is not considered plagiarism if you repurpose them for your thesis mm -hmm. or your dissertation, right? Of course, you want to be very smart about it, right? because you want to make sure that you're you're repurposing it for the context of your thesis topic for the context of your dissertation topic but you may find that again if you're in a qualitative a quantitative research methods course a survey methods course an analysis course and you're saying okay i have for example in my case uh, a a topic on psychological ownership you know i can try to target it to different audiences to different populations i can do that but i'm still getting feedback on how i can apply it in statistics on how i can apply it with survey methods on how i can apply it to different populations and that's what has contributed to my success someone said how feasible is it to do a phd program and work full time it it is possible I did it. I, I launched four businesses in the midst of my four years doing my PhD while working for full time while being a children's choir director. And I did that choir ministry for in two different states for four choirs at a point in the very beginning. So it's possible, but it's very stressful. So I would also recommend being very kind to yourself you know, finding an outlet where someone who can talk through and remind you to be kind to yourself for myself. And I'm, I don't have a problem with being transparent about the fact that I got a therapist. I went through EAP to get the support I needed, right? For me to be like, listen, I am having a very hard time and I need to talk through these feelings of imposter syndrome, right? I have to, I need to talk to these feelings of, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I deserve to make it through this PhD program, but it's been very helpful in me getting the strength that I need to go back and continue to be great. So I know there, there are a lot of questions that are coming in the, the comments. I will try to respond in the comments so that I can give somebody else the opportunity to speak. <laughs> 
Well, thank you very much for that. That's a lot of great information. Uh, and Elizabeth and Carolyn, I see you there, but I did also notice that Cynthia Lieberman, I saw you flash on the screen. And Cynthia, if you're still with us and you're available, it might be a great opportunity uh, for you to come forward and talk a little bit about you know, what you're doing uh, with CBOC and especially for those grad students, you know, how, there you are. <laughs> Hi, Tom. Can you hear me? I always have problems with that. Can you hear me? <laughs> we can, especially for those grad students, you know, um, how do they want to get discovered? Like they should be getting discovered before they graduate. Uh, so do you Absolutely. want to talk a little bit about what you're doing? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me, everybody. I am not an IO psychologist. I have a master's in media psychology and social change, which is the study of human behavior, how it's affected by the media, and how to use it to affect positive social change. And I fell into CBOC through Clubhouse because Jeremy, Dr. Limbaugh, was, he was like, oh, my God, you're speaking what I do, what I love, what I do, you know, in a different way. I have literally worked for every single studio in marketing and PR, so I have a lot of, of branding and celebrity branding. I've contributed to influencer marketing book. And it's always hard. And particularly in a field like this, that is, if you don't know, you don't know. It's very ambiguous. Sometimes people don't understand it. And there is, thanks to COVID, uh, everything's like pre and post, but people are now learning that they have to, with remote work, manage from the bottom down up, not just top down. And that is helping IO, I think, from my experience with IO. But my my quick tips for you, I know how hard it is you're about to graduate. And you're like, how do I even get started? First of all, congratulations, because if you hang out in a barbershop long enough, eventually you get a haircut. So if you want to be a basketball player and you're five foot four and it's not going to happen because you're 32 years old, coach a team. Because the, the idea that you're going to be around other people that are have the same interests increase your chances of getting involved in the things that you love. So if there's a particular area of an IO that you like, if it's military or engineering or whatever, get involved, follow a group on LinkedIn, comment on what people are saying, add to their messaging, contribute. Uh, it's scary to put your neck out there. Sometimes just resharing or commenting. People want to matter. That's the thing. And particularly when people who are looking to be thought leaders on the LinkedIn space or in, the, in social media, their, their whole wheelhouse is engagement. So the more they get people to engage, the more they get supported. So when you engage with them, even if it's like, that's exactly what's going on, or by the way, this, or share research that you're doing, or ask questions, is going to help you get people to know who you are and try to help you. So that's the very first thing. Discoverability is a journey, not a sprint. We're in a 15 minutes of fame world here, you know, where you think, oh, I'll just go out there and be an influencer. And then you go, how come people don't like me? And blah, blah, blah. Forget that. Don't, there's a really good Seth Groden thing on marketing. I'll try to get it and put it to you. But of course, he's already very famous. Uh, he's a famous thought leader. But his thing is be who you are and don't worry about the likes. Be your original authentic truth, because that's what you have to live with. And that's what you've got to walk in. I don't walk in your shoes. I don't even know if you wear combat boots or stilettos. I don't know if you're purple or green even on a lot of things that are online because it's difficult physically to be seen. Then get into webinars like this, where you do get the physical social cues and you get to see what somebody looks like. Also, it's not just education that a lot of people have education. I'm going to spend, you know, even working in the field you're in, 30 seconds on a, on a, on 
when you see somebody's profile, LinkedIn is, of course, especially in your field where you want to be because you're trying to reach businesses. So you want to have some sort of emotional connection. Like I am passionate about this and, and stake your claim, own it so that I go, oh, this person, I need that. They do that. I get that. Not just I'm excited and I love it and I just want to change the world. That's nice. So what, what are you going to do for me? Right? It's better to be interested than interesting. So an emotional connection, the visual representation is very important. Put a photo on your LinkedIn, put something where you're smiling, put something in the background, that little cover thing, make it, mine is like, it's all like, cause I'm enthusiastic. It's a very enthusiastic background on my LinkedIn. It's very colorful because that's how I, that's how I, that's who I am. I'm a very colorful, outgoing. You want somebody in marketing who's like that, right? If you, But if you're going to go after engineers, they like things very clean and neat and everything should be very simple. So content and context are very important. Make sure you're selling to the audience that you want selling, so to speak. Remarkable facts, post remarkable facts. Jeremy just said something about in 2009, there were 12 schools and now there's 200 or something. Post that fact. Did you know that in 20 years, it's gone up 200% and it was this and now it's that? People love, if not this, that. They love seven of this, seven of that. So so you're unique and you, you, are your, you don't think of yourself as a business or a brand, but you're a brand. You're, you're, you're Barbie or Knef or whatever. I mean, you're whatever you want to brand yourself to be. So don't be afraid to be true. And, you know, keep doing things like this, because this is how when you find one person, it'll connect another. So I hope that's helpful for you. Oh, one more thing. If you decide to really get into the coaching and putting quotes or some kind of uniqueness on different social media platforms, get the real estate now, the digital real estate. Try to make it so that everywhere you are, whether it be, I mean, I'm into mid journey, I'm into discord, I'm into, I'm on Twitter, I'm on threads, I'm on everything. And I have, I have a personal one, and then I have one that's like my one-size-fits-all, and then I have my Lieberman PR. Um, but I have Lieberman C's, L-I-E-B-E-R-M-A-N-S-E-E-S. That's kind of like my brand name, and that's the one I use when I try to get conversation because I have the most traction there. Try to get the same thing everywhere, because and the harder you make it, the less they'll remember it. So you want to make it, you know, there is Snapchat, MySpace, iPhone, YouTube, and we're very narcissistic, right? It's all about us, right? Um, But I mean, make it very simple. Lieberman sees, I got you, right? So thank you. It's really great to be here. I'm glad I got to jump in and thank you for having me, Tom. If anybody has any questions, Lieberman C at Gmail. I'm also on the CBOC in there somewhere. You can find me or my website, CynthiaLieberman.com. Okay, bye. Thank you. Thank that you. was that was absolutely great. And once again, join CBOC. So once a month, you can connect with Cynthia <laughs> and get your career going. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I see Lee. So let's go to Lee. Thanks, Tom. I just wanted to uh, to jump in here as one of the uh, the minority of CBOC experts who are not entrepreneurs. So I, I just want to put out there: don't feel any kind of pressure that oh my god, if I join CBOC. You know, the Society for Organizational Consulting, but I've got to be a consultant, therefore I can't join CPOC. No, don't don't worry about that. We are here to, we are the cheerleaders of IO and and, and for you. And uh, whether you want to be a, a, an external consultant, an internal consultant, just a regular employee, whatever it is that you decide you want to do, there there's room 
you know, it's a big tent, as they say. There are lots of people with lots of knowledge, and there's plenty to go around. So don't think, hi, Cynthia. Sorry, she said hi in the chat. And, and anybody who comes to the pops up knows that I will randomly verbally respond to things in the chat. I just can't help myself. So for you students, early career, whatever it is, don't don't worry about the if you don't want to be an entrepreneur. I mean, I'm not opposed to owning my own business, but the thought of going out and finding clients putting, you know, wakes me up in a cold sweat. Not my thing. Those of you who want to do that, I'm a little envious, but get on you. Don't worry about if that's not the don't feel pressure that that's the direction you need to go. There are plenty of people out there who work within organizations and do great IOE stuff. And I'll leave it there. Carolyn, let's go back to you. Jeremy, I'm going to ask you this question if you can help me through it. Okay. You earlier were talking about the differences with degrees and PhDs and how PhDs used to be where IO was at. And now they're going down to even bachelor's and so on. When I'm looking at jobs online, especially within the government, it just says that you need to have a degree in IO. My problem is I had an MBA, I had my SPHR, I have all this stuff that looks just wonderful and great, but I won't have my degree in IO until I finish my PhD, which is way down the line. So is that diluted at all? Because now there's so many things they're taking people at the lower levels and now they're getting the experience to with it. Or, I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of frustrated because if I knew what I knew now, since I had to go to a, from a bachelor, I, because I didn't have a psychology degree, my school required that. I did the bachelor two all the way through. So I kind of went back through a bunch of coursework and stuff like that to substantiate it, which I'll be happy when I get my PhD, but the interim is what I worry about, you know? So where can I, I, is that diluted at all? Or is there something that I can do in the interim with it to, I hope that makes sense. I don't know really how to do it, how to say that. I might pass this to Destiny if this is something more specific to government jobs, but I will say this, likely the reason there are, asking that. So like with your credentials, it might be something because they're looking for something like in the sciences, like a higher degree in the sciences. So that might be part of it. The other thing too, is depending on when someone is graduating, if it's kind of close enough, they might take that into consideration. But Destiny, do you have a better beat on this? And and I'm not necessarily asking just government. I'm just curious in general, because I've even seen it in some of the just regular civilian jobs out there. It's just, it was something that drew my attention when I started looking at IO, because when I started this program, I turned around and I said, okay, so what IO jobs are out there? Okay, keywords, personal psychologist. Okay, keywords, this, keywords, that. And I started looking that realm. So when I looked that realm, I began to question, am I legitimately in a degree path that makes sense? Because I literally made the decision overnight. I mean, it was, I had VA money I had to use. And if I didn't start tomorrow, whatever. So I looked at the catalog and I picked it. I said, this looks interesting. And then I've just been finding more and falling in love with it along the way. So for more clarity, so the job is saying requires a degree in organizational psychology. Is that correct? Requires or, yeah. Most of them would say requires or prefers a degree in IO. Did I and jump so, in really quick please. on that one? Yeah. Please. Yes. Yeah, so for, um, and I'm sorry, y'all, I turned my camera off. I'm chiming in, in the comments. Okay, so in the federal government specifically, they hire based on uh, occupational code. And so I believe for psychology, it's 0180. It doesn't matter whether you're working in EAP. It doesn't matter if you're working as an IO. That's the occupational code that they they hire by. Um, And so for personnel research psychologist roles, more than likely, they're going to require that you have 
uh, uh, undergrad sometimes or graduate degree in psychology, right? So some people come in with a grad uh, degree in um, clinical and behavioral and applied. Um, so I will say that's how it is for the federal government, but there is also a related degree. And so if you're able to demonstrate that you took coursework, right? So for some jobs, they might say you have to have completed 18 credits or have to have completed a year of related coursework. If you took organizational behavior courses or or courses in that space that you can justify in your KSAs or on your resume that, yes, these are the types of courses I took that can transfer in, that could land you, get you to the interview space. And of course, for contractor jobs, because they go by that occupation and someone, I remember mentioning that, you know, there are minimum qualifications that you have to meet. So because the federal government goes by occupation, you may find that contractor jobs, government contractor jobs may have similar requirements, but, you know, it's not always as strict as it is for the federal government. Is that something that anyone has seen in other fields? I mean, like outside of the government, that kind of a restriction or anything? I'm just curious. I think that journey is really similarly felt across, which is why we're honestly here in a way, because the thing is, is that so many people don't know how to necessarily translate, right? And once again, it's felt in those job role postings. I mean, how many, you know, we talked about this earlier, like they're recycling these job posts or recycling other people's interpretations of a job post or a job role, and they're not capturing the true essence of necessarily what an IO does. I posted in the in the chat uh, two things, the ONET and the PSYOP career pass. I use the PSYOP career pass in my discussions all the time to really give people insight as to how they are already equipped in so many ways with the competencies and the key experiences that PSYOP the official body, you know, of APA 14th or 14th division says that in order for you to be a consultant or uh, to go down the path in government or academics, if you go to those career paths in the middle, you'll see top, you'll see key experiences and top competencies. You can even click below to pull out the full list. And those are what we, they are considering to be experience in a field, right? So a lot of times you'll see three to five years of experience, but it doesn't specify the experience. Well, I I really encourage each of you to go to those um, competencies and those key experiences. And, you know, we love Likert scales. I tell people this all the time. We love our Likert scales. We love our rating scales. Go give your, go do self-assessment on yourself with, do I have this skill and how strong am I in this skill? Or do I have like, give yourself a rating scale and figure it out. And I want you to really think about that because I think many of you, especially if you've had a lot of work experience in the past, or even if you haven't, you have experience, you have IOE experience. And so there's a lot, like, once again, it's just a lot of lost in translation type of stuff. The government is its own beast. I've, I've applied for many government jobs in the past. I applied, honestly, all of the ones I applied for, I got calls for. And I actually got, I was part of the government, but I left the government very quickly because I realized that like the government can kind of just, you know, for some of us who like to like go do and be, you know, big thinkers, it's hard to stay in the government because you have to, it's very black and white on purpose because the government's got to keep functioning. Right. And so I think there's a lot there. That's why they're so strict about it. And, and it's good because it makes it more, you know, held up in legal stuff, but they still don't understand always what they're asking. And even the specialized 
even the specialized stuff will say things very generally speaking, like the specialized year is like, you need to have human capital management. (laughs) Well, what, like if you go look up human capital management and what skills and what it, you know, demonstrates competency in that, or, you know, demonstrates the mastery of a competency. I mean, everybody's definition is different, right? So that's where that true self-assessment, that true understanding of your self-marketing, your own skill sets comes into play here because nobody can really truly identify to you at three to five years of experiences in IO because you can really justify a lot of experiences that you've had in that space. So good and bad there. I hope that kind of gives you a little bit of hope. Maybe it burdens some of you more, but I think you know, that's where, why, what we're doing is so important. We're really trying to get you to make those connections. And Juliet's mentioned the word mapping here. Mapping is exactly what we need to do more of like map our experiences, map our qualities and our attributes and all those things to these, these roles and to the future of what we want to do. So, but that's, that's kind of, I, I, I don't know if I answered or gave you more thought, but I'll just leave that there. And lots of lots of good information, but we've only got about 10 minutes left. And we've got a couple of hands up. So, Andrea, let's go to you. Andrea, are you with us? If not, we're going to go to Elizabeth. All right, we'll keep Andrea. Oh, wait. There you oh, are. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, using my phone, and so I'm trying to scroll. I apologize. Just from the federal government perspective, having now worked for the federal, federal government for 12 years, I can say I understand the, and having done position classification, which is what you're talking about in terms of this occupational kind of codes that Dr. Nelson mentioned, she's absolutely right. The thing to keep in mind is that some of them have a um, positive, what's called a positive education requirement. And so that's where they say you have to have a degree in a certain area. And I mentioned this too, because someone who was in the chat said they were interested in instructional design. And the instructional design series is actually another one of those series that requires a positive education requirement. Although a training and education specialist does not go figure, slightly different what we call series number. And so it's, yes, the fun of government and why things they are the way that they are. But I, I just mentioned that for all of you, you know, to reiterate just what Dr. Nelson and, and Dr. Pete had said is you just do kind of have to be careful with the government and figuring out where you fall. Um, the, the one thing is that some jobs that you may see in the government fall under the HR specialist series, maybe under workforce planning, great way to get IO work and does not have a positive education requirement. So just kind of keep that in mind as you go along. Once again, great advice. Um, Elizabeth, let's go back to you. Okay. I had to find the mute as well because <laughs> uh, I switched my phone because my computer died. Um, I just wanted to say that what Dr. Destiny said at the very beginning of this section about bridging that gap between uh, like the CBOC is bridging that gap between what a practitioner needs to know out in the field and what academia is currently providing its students. I was just like almost jumping up and down my seat when you said that. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that is so needed. And I would love to participate in helping you guys out with that because there's just so much that I felt like was missing from my master's program, even though I loved my master's program, but there was almost like this sort of like purposeful resistance when we would bring up a question like, you know, what, what technical skills do we need or whatever? There was this sort of academic response of, of like, 
well, this is academia. We're really focused on the research and everything like that. And that's great. You know, like I really appreciated the, the conceptual approach because I love that stuff. And I really appreciated my program and my professors was amazing. But I think it's okay. It's it's an important for them to recognize most of us want to be practitioners. Very few of us are going to, into these master's programs to become scholars and kudos to those who are. But most of us want to be practically applied. And there's nothing wrong with learning like I'm an LMS, I'm, I'm in learning and development, and I wish that my program assigned us in our L&D course, like go out and get a free account at with Articulate and learn how to use a course authoring tool for this next assignment. You know, go out and get a free account at an LMS and just poke around in the LMS and see what that is or or copycat someone or find out someone who can, who can like let you shadow them on an LMS. Because like the LMS... And a course authoring tool were two really key, really basic things you need in the L&D field that I was at a disadvantage of when I was going for my first job interviews because I didn't have those at all under my belt. And, you know, it took my first job out in the field to learn those things and gain them. And now I have them, but I just wish that I had, I would have been so much more ahead of the game if I had entered the field from my graduate degree with those tools under my belt. So that's amazing that you're that you're bridging that gap. And um, that's what I would just recommend to any grad students is like, if your program doesn't offer that, go out and seek it yourself, you know, like in these communities, go find out in your specific area of interest, like, what are the core tools that I need? And see if you could you most, most core tools, you can get free accounts and poke around in them, you know, or just figure them out a little bit or get tutorials or whatever. And those are going to really help you when you when you go out into the world. So that's all I wanted to say. Well, that's really, really interesting. And and Jeremy, I, I kind of want to take this back to you because uh, I developed a brand new, I wrote a brand new four-year program for an acting program, but it was in a polytechnic institution, which means they wanted something much more practical. Let's get less away from the theater theory. Um, you know, let's let's not look at, you know, Greek theater from, you know, 500 BC because no one's doing it anymore unless you go to Greece. So I'm also hearing from you, though, that more more um, post-secondaries, most institutions which are looking at I.O. are now kind of going more in that practical manner. Um, so are, are there any institutions that, that you've been talking to which are really into, no, practical, practical, practical? I won't say more and more. I will say very, very few. And they face a lot of pushback. We'll just kind of leave it at that because, you know, the powers that be want them to stay more academic. So there are so Bellevue University, they're going really practitioner oriented. Vanguard University is extremely practitioner oriented. They're the ones that I mentioned, uh, Dr. Ben Wood, and they have 98 percent of their faculty are practitioners and Western Governors University, WGU, they're going to launch, it looks like in August, their bachelor's, believe it or not, in IO psychology. And they're really going about things the right way. So those are three that I can name uh, off the top of my head. So again, it's interesting that you've got, A, that that's what they're focusing on, but it's good because they have their ear to the ground or the railroad tracks or something. That that's what people are looking for is I want to, I want to, I want to practice in the field and I want career readiness. And that's the main thing. For example, with WGU, which we've been talking to, their main goal is employability. I mean, how cool is it to have a university and you're enrolled in their program and their main goal is to get you employed. So, so 
you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's refreshing, but it's also thanks to all of you who have likely provided the feedback, who have likely spoken of your challenges. And also it's like, it's all because of you who have provided us over the years, this information so that we can go back to the universities that we're talking to and say, listen, this is what we're hearing. You may not be getting this particular feedback. So that helps us CBOC as an organization go back to the universities and start to provide those types of messages. So it's not that it's just serendipitous. This is thanks to all of you who have been providing us so much feedback throughout the years. And the good news is that some are starting, that there are options there and options becoming available. And if your university, if you're in, still in a graduate program, it doesn't hurt to go to your university and say, hey, what else can be done? Maybe you start a student committee. There's different things that you can do to say, hey, what are the gaps? What are we missing? Talk to people who are graduates and say, what were you missing? Because it, if you're still in the program, it's a, I don't know what I don't know. So ask other people, what do you wish you would have had? And then maybe go back to your faculty, to your professors. Maybe there's some kind of assignment they can do. You can be a lead, uh, a, a change agent, a leader in that regard. And does CBOC, um, does CBOC play a role that if you didn't get that practical experience that CBOC and, and especially with the experts here can help you get some of that practical experience? Yeah. So, so that's what our Pathfinder program is, all of that. And then the program that we have, we have a couple of different things, services for universities. And one of those is a Pathfinder program on steroids because it's there's a little more, there's a couple more things that we can do the heavy lifting because they just... Let's face it, university, have, they have tight budgets, they have time constraints, and they have other focus areas. So we do the heavy lifting for their programs and for their faculty in particular so that we can provide that extracurricular activity with the groups, with the engagement, and uh, everything else. So actually, now that I think about it, Tom, I mentioned being, I was <laughs> going to give it back. You can be a change agent. You can also go to your university and say, hey, we might not be getting the experience we want get in touch with these folks at CBOC, they have some options where they can enhance your program for you and give us what we need in that kind of regard, Tom. Thank you very much. And Juliet, we're almost out of time, but let's get back to you quickly. Go ahead. I just wanted to say quickly, and I know we are out of time, but um, I just wanted to say quickly, um, based on some of the comments that I'm seeing, there are, depending on you know your employment, whether you're work- working full-time or so on and so forth, there are a lot of organizations that they do emphasize professional development as part as your performance. And so what you may want to discuss with your manager, you know, hey, even if you're flipping burgers at a fast food restaurant, perhaps connecting with your manager and seeing if you can get in touch with HR, right? Get a little bit of that experience or say, you know, can I participate on a project? You know, if if there's an opportunity for you to shadow someone, um, that's where maybe if you do have a job established that's not necessarily in, you know, an IO field, doing that cross-functional shadowing, cross-functional training, seeing if you can um, volunteer your time on a project can also be helpful. And depending, depending on your manager, they may even incorporate that into your professional development, into your performance. I know that's something that my manager at the time did for me. I was in sales, but I was able to raise my hand as an employee engagement champion. And so leveraging our employee engagement scores, that's where, of course, you can, you know, do that data analytics from a very human capital 
targeted space and build a little bit of experience to take another baby step forward. So I did want to also share that with students who are actually working part-time or full-time. Also, you can set up, and I've seen some people do this on LinkedIn, accounts on Upwork and Fiverr, um, and you can take small projects as an independent contractor. And you can use that on your resume because that's where you can apply some of the things that you're learning in your IO programs and, you know, offer some valuable solutions. And of course, join us at CBAC. We're here to help. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a great place to end this conversation. And it's also the end of our day. So Dr. Destiny, Dr. Jeremy, I will turn the mic back to you. Before we go, there was some talk about like Python and R not having the ability to learn those kinds of things in school, in your programs. You can go, edX has, has some free courses by IBM on Python and on R. There's also a free tool. Many of you, many of us, I don't even know what, right, uh, they're using now, but I'm guessing they're still using SPSS. There's also a free tool that we can use when we get out of school and you can use when you're in school in case SPS is going to be expensive. It's called Jamovi, G-A-M-O-V-I, I think. And there's some uh, really good YouTube uh, resources. I can I have them somewhere. So if you want that Jamovi, some of the, the particular resources for that, but it's an open source, free SPSS, but it has the addition of, of working with R on it. So it's free. And there's there's plenty of things that you can do on the side to augment your capabilities there. That's all I have. Dr. Destiny? No, I just want to thank everyone for coming and participating. And, you know, tomorrow, the 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 whole idea is to grow. Uh, come tomorrow, prepare to, you know, engage again if you're able to. Uh, thank you so much for all of your vulnerability, for all of your feedback. Today, during the break in the networking session, it was awesome. Like, I... I could hear you all. I was sitting over on my couch and just listening in and, and just hearing, you know, the basically just the camaraderie that was happening in the community that was happening naturally. So really love that. Please also feel free once again, to leave feedback because feedback is so critical, not only for us and the future of what we do for you all, but because it makes other people feel comfortable in joining in on the conversation and building that community too. So please do that for us and for the community overall. And once again, thank you so much for attending. We really appreciate it and looking forward to tomorrow. And with that, Jeremy, why don't you count us out unless you've got something left and we'll see everyone again tomorrow. We'll do. Oh, the old traditional work cookie podcast count out. All right, let's do it. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. This has been amazing. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.